Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. At participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii. Hello again, everyone. I'm Joe Longinusa, welcoming you to another edition of Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, the show where industry leaders, golf professionals, and legends all come and discuss the great game we love so much. So without further ado, let's turn it over to our host to tell us who's next on the tee. Chris, take it away. Hey, thank you, Joe. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me again this morning on Next on the Tee. We're brought to you today by the great folks over at the French Lick Resort, folks. They're Pete Dye and Donald Ross Design Courses, ranked number one and number two in the state of Indiana by Golf Week, and also the site of uh, last year's Senior PGA Championship and the LPGA Legends Championship. What a great place. Check them out online at FrenchLick.com. We're also sponsored by our friends over at The Leather Shop, makers of top-quality custom-made leather dress, casual, and golf shoes. Folks, do your feet a favor and put them inside shoes. They're going to keep them feeling good and looking good all day long. You can find them online at the-leather-shop.com. Also want to welcome our new friends and sponsors, the, the World Golf Village, located in historic St. Augustine, Florida. It's also the home of the World Golf Hall of Fame. No matter the time of year, folks, or the length of your stay, World Golf Village is sure to deliver an unmatched experience with your friends and family and memories that are going to last an absolute lifetime for you. For more information, visit them online at worldgolfvillage.com or give them a call, 1-800-948-4653. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and today I have the privilege of sharing two great guests with you. First up is going to be Mike Landry. Mike is a Class A teaching professional out at Westminster, California. Uh, he's getting up at O-Dark 30 for me out there, so which uh, you know I can't tell you how much I really appreciate Mike doing that. He teaches out of Manhattan Beach uh, Marriott Golf Club, and I certainly look forward to talking with Mike here in just a few moments. Following him, I'll be joined by a great friend of the show and a member of my dream five. Some folks, you hear me talking about him all the time on the show, Eric Johnson. Eric is a Golf Magazine Top 100 instructor. He is also the Director of Instruction at Oakmont Country Club. So as uh, you know, we all prepare to take a look at uh, the U.S. Open. We're all starting to get excited for the next major, right? So next one's going to be the, the U.S. Open up at Oakmont next month. We'll talk to Eric about how preparations are going at Oakmont and who some of the players might be getting in some practice rounds already up there. Eric is going to join me a little bit later in this half hour. So we're going to have a lot of fun today, folks. It's going to be another insightful show for you. I'm so glad that you're here to take the journey with us over the next hour or so. But let's start the show off right, and that's by helping you get your morning started off right, and that's by going to check out our friends over at Aroma Ridge because they offer an array of the finest mountain-grown gourmet coffees that you're going to find anywhere on the planet, folks. You can find them online at aromaridge.com. Their secret Hand-selected beans from a variety of golf-producing countries from around the world. They roast those beans to perfection by their very own roast master. Their coffees are roasted to order. And if you like a little flavor in your coffee like I do, 
They have almost any flavor that you can imagine. Plus, they can even mix and match flavors so that you can create one of your very own. And they're biscotti cookies. Can we talk biscotti cookies here, folks? Fantastic. And not only are their coffees great, they are fantastic people as well. Check them out and online. All their great products available at aromaridge.com. And like I mentioned a moment ago, Next on the Tea is brought to you by our friends up at the French Lick Resort in French Lick, Indiana. Folks, you want to talk about a spectacular resort to both play golf and to just relax and enjoy yourself, which you're not going to find a play, any place any better anywhere on the planet than the French Lick Resort. Go to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself. Let's hear from our friends up there. Now's the time to plan that golf getaway you've been dreaming about at French Lick Resort. We have new Golf Academy packages for 2016, guaranteed to take your game to the next level. Try our one-day Quick Fix Academy for golf emergencies. For more in-depth learning, try the Game Changer, designed to make you a better player. Our staff professionals are ready to work with you at French Lick Resort. Did you know there's only one place in the country that you can play courses designed by two members of the World Golf Hall of Fame on the same property? The Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses at French Lick Resort make us an ultimate golf destination for 2016. Check out the Ultimate Golf Package, the Hall of Fame Package, and other great offerings at FrenchLick.com. Let 2016 be that year you finally take your dream golf getaway at French Lick Resort. Play the courses champions play. Yeah, folks, I promise you, it is spectacular. My family and I can't wait to get back up there again this year. The French Lick Resort needs to be on your list of places to stay and play. And oh, by the way, my friends, they have a casino right there on the property as well. For more information and to book your stay, go to FrenchLick.com. And every week here on Next on the T, we like to kick off the show by saluting the brave men and women serving in every branch of our military who are tuning in around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. We want to thank all of you for your daily sacrifices that both you and your families are making to protect our freedoms and our liberties. We also want to thank our veterans you know, for all that you and your families have done for us over the years. It is through your strength and your efforts that our way of life is even possible. And folks, if you see a member of our military when you're out and about, whether it's in the airport, at a restaurant, or wherever you may be, please stop for a moment and tell them thank you. They are our real heroes. Our sincere thanks as well to Sean Cruz and the wonderful folks over at the Armed Forces Radio Network. It is such an amazing honor for us to have Next on the T be a part of your network. You can find our show by going to armedforcesradionetwork.org. Also want to continue to remind our veterans, please be sure to check out globalvoiceforveterans.org. There's a, a link right there on the armedforcesradionetwork.org site as well. Globalvoiceforveterans.org. What a great site with a lot of news and articles and a wealth of information specifically geared towards our veterans out, out there that I'm sure you're going to find both interesting and beneficial. Again, globalvoiceforveterans.org. All right. Now joining me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Mike Landry. Let me give you a little more background on Mike. He is from Eugene, Oregon. He studied at the University of Mary Haven Baylor in Benton, Texas. He has over 20 years experience as a class A teaching professional and teaching the fundamentals of the game. Over the last five years alone, he's given out nearly 8,000 lessons as well as teaching the game at Sierra Coso Community College in Ridgecrest, California. And I am, like I say, honored that he got up very early for me this morning out in California to be next on the tee with me. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for joining me. How are you, my friend? I'm well, I'm well. It's great to be a guest on the show. I appreciate you being here. 
So, Mike, let's go all the way back to the beginning for you. When, when did you, know, you start to develop the interest in the game of golf, and who was the uh, first person to put a golf club in your hands? You know, my father exposed me to the game, and I, you know, growing up in Eugene, Oregon, uh, was you know, got you know, part of the caddy ranks. So I was a caddy as a young man. Did a lot of caddying at Eugene Country Club, which will be the host of the NCAA Men and Women's Golf this year. So it's gonna nice. be nice to watch. So again, you know, through the caddy ranks. Yeah, and, and talking about that, you know, I had uh, you know Dennis Cohen on the show with me last week, and Dennis is the the head of the uh, Professional Caddies Association. And I, I'm curious, the caddying seems to be you know a, a way that a lot of folks uh, you know grew up in the game and learned the game and, and had an appreciation for it. Also, have a, you know as a job, you know, have an opportunity to earn a, a part time living as a kid. You know, I'm I'm curious, you know. Talk about, you know, the, the idea of, you know, caddies. How did we lose that as an opportunity for, for people to grow up and to start loving the game like you did? Well, I think, you know, with the modern courses, you know, more and more cart paths and developments were set up. And I think some of the redesigns of golf courses now are bringing back walkers, which, you know, you get walkers, then you get the caddies back in the game, or again, at bare minimum, the four caddies that can, you know, jump on the back of the cart and keep the game moving. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think part of the game of golf, Mike, you know, in, in, in loving the game and appreciation of the game, you know, is also the opportunity you talk about is, you know, to be able to walk the course and to really, you know, you know, for, for those of us who are, you know, that, uh, um, you know, have other jobs and that sort of thing, you know, to be able to take a breath. And, you know, kind of relax a little bit and enjoy just, you know, just the actual, you know, the beauty of a golf course and being out, you know, being outside as opposed to behind our computers and that sort of thing. I think that's something that we've lost. I hope it's coming back. I believe it is. You know, I went to late October to Bandon for some rounds of golf with a fellow superintendent. It was at Eugene Country Club, Chris Gaughan. And we, that's all we did was walk, you know, Bandon, enjoyed the golf game uh, and, you know, that's truly the beauty. You know, if you could only play seven times a year, that would be where you should put your money. To <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be honest you know, with you, you know. Yeah, so, you know, and, and talk about that. Bandon Dunes, boy, what, you know, you want to talk about one of the most beautiful golf courses. Anyway, I haven't had the privilege of, of playing it, but, boy, I've just heard so so much about it. And, if you know, you talk about a bucket list of golf courses that uh, that you could possibly play, I keep hearing Bandon Dunes needs to be right at the top. You know, the natural lay of the land, the shots you're hitting, you you got to have it all. So, Mike, as, as a, you know, as a kid who grew up in, in Eugene, Oregon, how did you end up, you know, you know going to, you know, uh, you know Mary Harden Baylor in, in Benton, Texas for college? Well, you know, with the rain in Oregon, you're, you're kind of, you want to get out. <laughs> yeah, you want to get out, and even the you know the members in those areas they get out for the winter because again, once that rain gets locked in, it's it's reality. So again, I wanted to get you know to the south, be able to play college golf or a lot of you know bigger programs. There's a lot of fine players. This way, the program was still being built, and uh, that, that gave me the opportunity to get an education. Uh, play some college golf at NAIA level, which was a perfect level to play. So talk about that, you know, talk about, you know, share some of your experiences of playing at that level, getting the opportunity to play college golf and what that was like for you. Were you prepared for, you know, is, is it a, 
a, you know, the pressure cooker that we think, you know, you know, playing, you know, at, at whether you get to the college level and then, uh, you know, obviously as you climb through the you know, professional ranks, but what was it like for you to get an opportunity to play at the college level? You know, you, you're playing for yourself, number one, and then number two, the team's relying on you. So the team is going to be right there at the scoreboard. So everything counts. Mm-hmm. And I remember my last year we were at the uh, our, like conference championship and I think we were called off the course like three times. Uh, and those three times, you kind of lose perspective of your where you're at scoring-wise. And I was the last guy out. And then we needed my score. And I actually wow. produced a you know 69, which is kind of a career low, which is you know under those conditions it was well needed. Uh, so that that got us to the. You know, the national championship or NAIA, the first team, I believe, from Mary Harden Baylor to ever get there. So that that was an honor. So talk about that, you know, as a, you know, a team golf, you know, and we see it at the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup and that sort of thing. But, you know, to your point, you know, is you, you're out there playing for yourself, but you're also out there playing for your college. And, you know, the, the guys that are also on the team, you know, it's not always about, you know, winning that golf tournament uh, on an individual level. But collectively, you're trying to win a team championship. And as you talk about, you know, getting pulled off the course and then having to come back out and, and shoot what ended up being a career low for you at that point. Talk about, you know, the pressure of knowing this is what I have to do, not just for me, but for my buddies, you know, my teammates as well. Yeah, and that's I think you really stay with percentage golf. You know, you really, you know, in the short game area, you really try to keep it on the ground. So that anything can happen <laughs> again, where the creative side can come in practice, but when you're in a team event or you, your score needs to count, you you got to rely on just routines, percentages, because then it's gonna it's, it'll actually take place, and you got to you know stay in the game. I also saw that your alma mater won the American Southwest Conference Golf Championship back in, in 2014. They're at the Division Three level now, and their program currently wow. ranked 15th there. And then you know, one of their players, Matt Hine, is a semifinalist for the Jack Nicklaus Player of the Year Award. He's going to be playing in the Division Three National Championship. Do you keep up with how the team's doing? You know, I get the alumni uh, newsletter quite a bit, so I do follow the golf. And then with the golf publications, I do – kind of stay hip to what's going on because it is a, you know, it's a reflection. I mean, mm-hmm. because, you know, older, you kind of laid some groundwork and you hope that, you know, that level of program stays current and stays active because it is, you know, an important part of the game that, you know, any college, any level has a has some recognition. Mm-hmm. Mike, moving on to, you know, your your current role in, in, the, in the, your career as a PGA professional, one of the things I don't think that, you know, we have enough appreciation for is what it takes to become a PGA professional and, and remain one. Can, can you take us through what it took for you to become a PGA pro? You know, I was fortunate, you know, I started out working in Houston's and I had a very good, you know, director of golf, Bill Dowling. And again, he, it was a team atmosphere. Because with the golf professionals, the golf shop merchandising person, lady, uh, that made a big impact because everyone stuck together as a team in that respect. Uh, and again, you know, with your, you know, book work and apprentice program, it's important to stay on it. 
<laughs> because if it's like college, if you get behind, you're you're in trouble. So mm-hmm. the farther ahead you can get, the the better off. Uh, and then and, again, just where I'm at now, if you can get through 20 years as a Class A member, then you can you got some more opportunities to protect your status. <laughs> right, and 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 to but that end, right, it, you know, once you become a PGA pro, it's not like you know, okay, now I'm in. Right, you got to continue to do the things you've got to do to keep that status, right? Correct. You got to continue in education, and then with that, you want to do stuff you enjoy—the teaching, the coaching, uh, contests, and uh, learning with other instructors. To where, if you wait to the bitter end, then you're going to do workbooks and stuff that has no meaning because we're here to teach and play the game. Mm-hmm. And Mike, one of the things you specialize in is teaching the short game, which which too many of us ignore. We we tend to you know want to focus on trying to bomb it off the tee. But talk about your short game program. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate to where I'm, I'm at a nine hole par three, which is moderate, in kind of a you know big area, Manhattan Beach in Southern California. So again, we're open to you know newer golfers, uh, golfers that have limited time to where they got an hour and a half to play. And don't have the you know the five hour rounds possibly or four hour rounds at public facilities, or again in the LA area you have to almost drive an hour to enjoy your round of golf if you're you're not fortunate enough. Mm-hmm. But again with the short game facility or the nine hole par three I'm here, it's moderate enough. Uh, again if there's no one out here you can turn it into a par four on a couple different holes which your creative side comes out. Now talk about the short game itself. What what are some of the things, like I say, you know, I, I've heard so many folks tell me now, you know what, Chris, and we've heard, you know, legends like Gary Player talk about this. You know, the, the majority of the game is actually played from 100 yards in. And I think we we as amateurs sort of do the inverse. We spend, we go to the driving range and we spend our time, you know, hitting drivers as opposed to really, you know, fine-tuning our short game where we're, we have more of an opportunity to shave strokes off of our game than we do by, you know, by driving the ball. Now, obviously, you know, you keep hitting the ball in the woods and it's going to take you two to get out sure. now. So your sure. score goes high. But from the, from a short game perspective, what are, what are some of the things that you try to instill in folks that helps them, you know, become a better short game player? Uh, you know, just, you know, with the, uh, the, the setting. So again, if it's a slopey area, kind of look for the high points, uh, if it's a flat area, make sure that you're keeping the ball to where you can, number one, make contact and then be able to let it roll out to where sometimes people want to make a, a bigger swing that's necessary to where you're you're better off making something smaller with a lower lofted club and even mishitting it's going to be better than some of the best shots you may hit. <laughs> yeah, and that's, and that's some of the things, right? You're talking, you know, some of the misconceptions that we have. What what are some of the misconceptions around the short game that you know we amateurs have that you know lead us to making more mistakes? And if we did something like as you just talked about, potentially using a you know a different club, we actually have a better chance of uh, optimizing our scores. Correct. And I think you know, you know, in the short game area, you just have to look your different levels, uh, your slopes uphill, and know that you know you're you're used to seeing the ball roll on the practice putting green. That's where you want to take a club, an eight iron, nine iron, set it up in front of the right foot so you can, you know, get your body in better position, make contact so that it performs just like you're wanting to roll a putt. 
to where mm-hmm. if you throw it in the air, then it could hit a soft spot, uh, could hit a ball mark. It's or this way, if it's going low, you got a chance to really run through it. Uh, and you and know, again, when we find you save... no, please finish your thought. Oh no problem. Oh yeah, you want to save the creative side for practice <laughs> and team events, <laughs> <laughs> right? And you know. Two trains of thought that I hear a lot about when we're when we are you know just off the greens, whether that's you know we're we're in the fringe or maybe a little bit beyond the fringe, you know the, the idea of whether we should putt it from there or we should chip it from there. When you find you know when you're telling students you know when you find yourself in that sort of a position, what's what's the better play for us in order to make uh you know make a lower score. Uh, again, you're looking at the surface. If it's all one level of grass and it's somewhat firm, you you got a better chance to roll it with the putter. Uh, again, if it's you know a couple different surfaces, you go from collar into the the little thicker rough. Then again, that's where you can you know use the you know a chipper or you know something in the chipping setup. Or even if it's you got to use your 54 degree, you know, put that ball in front of the right foot put your body in front so that you make that instant contact, you get it in the air, and it's still got a fighting chance to roll out. Mm -hmm. A club that's come more into play over the last several years, I think it's become more popular because of Phil Mickelson is, you know, the 60 degree wedge. And I think, you know, we all have images of grandeur in our head that we can go out and be Phil Mickelson and we can take a 60 degree wedge and do some magical things that we see him do. When you're, when you're teaching amateurs, is you know, and, and, and you know, moreover, probably some some of the newer players to the game. Is a sixty degree wedge something that you think we should have in our bags? It, it it forces you to make fuller swings, and again, it forces you to, you know, kind of know that at bare minimum, with a sixty degree your your backswing, the hands have to be at least waist high or above at bare minimum, because then if not, you're going to have to get too creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it kind of promotes more of the body motion. So, again, that's where when it's a bigger swing, the body can kind of soften things up, as you see with Phil Mickelson, to where if it's a smaller motion, you're going to kind of have a little bit more kind of rush to it or a little bit of a panic instinct with the uh-huh. lob wedge or 60. you got to kind of let it be more of a swing and just take what you get. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's where their practice swings are probably the better ones of the 60s, so put a couple balls into play with that imagination and you get a, ch- a chance. Mike, on your site, MikeLandryGolf.com, you talk about, you know, not only the importance of the short game, but also having a short game plan that can be executed consistently under pressure. What are some of the techniques that you teach folks when you're out, you know, trying to, you know, whether it's, you know, you're, you're trying to win at, you know, your local, you know, tournament on your golf course, you know, your member guest, or really, or just out there trying to beat your buddies. But talk about the mental approach to being able to, you know, pull it off when the pressure's on. Right. Again, just looking at the surrounded surroundings, the high, the low, uh, how other people's pitches or shots came in, if they kind of really released quicker or, or they actually slowed down quite a bit then that gives you, because then that's where the grain could come into play that you might not see when you're you know, at a pitching distance because you might not walk up and look at the edge of the green under some circumstances, so that'll kind of come into play. 
or even you know, my, sitting out in the fairway watching uh-huh. putt, people putt or pitch. And, and you mentioned the word grain, and I get a lot of questions. You know, what, what do people mean by grain? Talk, you know, for our listeners, you know, we hear it on the, you know, when we're watching, you know, golf on television and that sort of thing, you know, whether it's, you know, playing with the grain, pitching into the grain, the grain of the greens, talk about what that means. Uh, what it does is, you know, with the grain of the grass, with it's dull, you're against it, uh, shiny, you're with it, or it could also be going across. So again, kind of when you're in those settings where there's kind of grain predominant, as your ball slows down, it's either going to pull right that direction, pull left, or even slow down quite a bit, or actually be quite quite a bit quicker. Uh, again, if you're you know walking around the green, you can look at the edges, pick up on the the direction of the grass or around the cup. You can you know, kind of see the lip outs later in the day, uh, but definitely it has an effect. So you thinking percentage wise and. You know, if you're against the grain, you almost have to add like a, a foot to a 10-footer per se or a foot and a half or, or down grain. You could go 80% to get it there with it, you know, being less resistance. Mm-hmm. I'm talking with Mike Landry, Class A teaching professional here on Next on the T. And, Mike, a couple more before we let you go. But, uh, you know, you've, like I mentioned at the top, you've done, you know, in just in the last five years alone, nearly 8,000 lessons. What are some of the consistent mistakes that you see that we amateurs are making when uh, when we first come to see you? Uh, you know, I, that's, you know, the beauty of all my lessons are basically 95% of were done on the course. And it's just, you know, watching the routine. Do people walk in from the side or do they walk in behind? And then again, when they're walking in from behind, they've got to have the objective of having their foot line parallel to where the, they're wanting to go. Because if the foot line's going well right or well left, then that doesn't allow their body to help them out. They get blocked out. So definitely mm. the foot line approach is one of the main things. Uh, and then the thing that will haunt golfers for life is a hand position or grip. So you know a lot of students I work with, I give them the molded training grip so that there's no excuse. <laughs> they can hold it, <laughs> grab it. Uh, again, I tell them to fit it like a puzzle in their hand because they can fit a puzzle. But to get the hands out of position, then there's just you can't expect to do what the club face is going to do. So, Mike, as our listeners prepare themselves to go play golf this weekend, what's what's a uh, what's one of your favorite tips to share that uh, our listeners can use to pe- potentially shave a couple of strokes off their score this weekend? I think you know you know practice swings uh, around the short game area, even on the full swing, doing it with their right heel up in the air, so that they get more balance, uh, they get the proper rotation going through. Uh, again, the, the worst thing that happens, they feel awkward, but it allows them to get a feel for the balance and also knowing that in full swings they're going to have their weight instantly on the finished target side. And in the short game, there's no weight shift, so you're on one leg anyway or weight left to begin with. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, Mike, before we let you go, how can our listeners – find you and follow you both uh, online and over social media as well. Uh, they could go uh, Facebook. They could hunt me down as well as uh, through Marriott uh, hotels. And then, you know, again at the website, uh, www.mikelandry.com. 
www.golf.com. Very good. Mike, thank you again for getting up early out in California to uh, to be a part of the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime, share more of your thoughts and insights with us. Really enjoyed having you as part of the show today. Okay. Hey, thank you, Chris, and salute to the troops. Ah, thank, thank you, you for saying that. Take care, you Mike. Bet. All the best to you and your family. Thank you much. Bye now. That was Mike Landry, Class A teaching professional. You can find him online again, Mike Landry Golf, and Landry is spelled L-A-N-D-R-Y, so MikeLandryGolf.com. All right, before I get to my my next guest, Eric Johnson, I want to give a shout-out to our new friends over at the World Golf Village, located in historic St. Augustine, Florida, just south of Jacksonville. The World Golf Village is the ultimate golf vacation uh, destination and is a true paradise fans of the game the village as it's referred to by locals is home of the uh, world golf hall of fame where the greatest players and contributors are honored and, in- and includes you know 70,000 square feet of displays trophies and personal memorabilia from those golfers and from the game of golf the world golf village boasts two championship golf courses including the king and the bear code designed by arnold palmer and jack nicholas and the sam sneed and gene saracen masterpiece the slammer and the squire Golfers looking to tune up their game before the round, book a lesson there. They've got a a great golf school, the the PGA Golf Academy, featuring the latest in learning technologies and world-class instructors as well. A luxurious day awaits you at the the Renaissance Resorts at the World Golf Village, offering an array of amenities and dining options, premier service, no matter the time of year or the length of your stay, folks. The World Golf Village is sure to deliver an unmatched experience for family and friends and memories to last a lifetime. For more information, go to worldgolfvillage.com or give them a call at 1-800-948-4653. All right, I'm going to get to my next guest, Eric Johnson, on the other side of this station identification. You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, heard around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. Now back with me and making his fifth appearance on the French Lick Resort guest line is Eric Johnson. Let me remind you about Eric's background. He was a four-year letterman at Mississippi State from 1992 to 1995, earned his degree in professional golf management. He remains in the Bulldogs' top 20 for the most rounds played. Eric has been the director of instruction at Oakmont Country Club since 2004, and Golf Magazine has named him a top 100 teacher every year since 2011. He was also recognized by Golf Digest as a top 40 under 40 teacher. He is a three-time Tri-State PGA Teacher of the Year. He is also one two-time. He's also a two-time winner of the Horton Smith Award, which can, you know uh, recognizes the uh, the teaching professional for their contributions to education. He is also on the advisory staff for TaylorMade Adidas Golf. He has played on the Canadian Tour, the Sunshine Tour, and the Golden Bear Tour, and he is one of my all-time favorite guests here on Next on the Tee. Good morning, Eric. Thanks for joining me again this morning, my friend. Chris, my man. How you doing, buddy? I'm fantastic, Eric. How are you? I'm doing great. I'll tell you what, we got a heck of a day here at Oakmont today. It's like one of those Wyoming sunsets. I wish you could see it. I mean, it's these blue sky and... Uh, like a Wyoming day. I mean, blue sky, about 60 degrees here this morning. We're, we're, and we are in phenomenal shape. Uh, the golf course is going to be quite a test for the guys coming up here in about, well, through what, 39 days, I think. <laughs> that's right. So, and, that's, and that's the thing, Eric, right? We're all looking, 
forward and looking ahead to the U.S. Uh, US Open up there in Oakmont. We know the course can be ready for a major at a moment's notice, but curious, how, how are things coming together? It's as good as I've ever seen it this time of year. I mean, uh, it is absolutely crazy. The greens are perfect. The rough's getting there. We've had some rain, and the, you can just see the rough growing. You know, it's just unbelievable. I think these guys are going to have their hands full. We had uh, Jordan Spieth in the other day, and he played and, you know, said, listen, if I shoot par here, it would be awesome. I'd take par right now. And and is I think right? he's – yeah, yeah. He went out and played, played nine holes on Tuesday, got in about 6 o'clock and played nine holes, made probably the, the coolest – you know, pitch in on the 18th hole I've ever seen. You know, everyone's standing around watching him. He flops it in. You know, I mean, impossible shot. I would have, I would have taken five to get down from there. He holds it. It was, wow. it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, are you starting to see more and more players come in and, and uh, getting in practice rounds, or was Jordan the first? Yeah, no, he's. Uh, we've had a couple in. Uh, we've got uh, we've got Tim Mickelson in with his star from you know Arizona State University, the number one ranked. Amateur in the world is playing in the open, and Steve's out there right now as we speak. And uh, wow. Steve and Tim, they're out on the golf course, but we're seeing more of them come. And, and right now the golf course is absolutely perfect. So, uh, you know, if if the weather is correct, you know, five over par would be my guess. You know, Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, no question about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it's, uh, if it's firm and fast the way we want it and the way it's off to this start this year, Five over is going to win this championship. And you mentioned rough a minute ago. Give, give our listeners an idea. How, how thick and how tall are you expecting the rough to be come tournament time? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, not, going to be, it's not going to be terrible on the first cut, but the graduated rough will get to six to eight inches. And wow. when you're in that stuff, you know, good luck. Just, you know, good <laughs> luck finding it, actually. actually. But, uh you know, getting it out is another thing. But it, it will be this test of golf this year for the Open. We have no condition issues this year. I mean, it is flawless out there right now. I can't wait to see it on TV. Yeah, and, and, and as you mentioned that, Eric, one of the things that uh, I tell our listeners all the time and have other people comment on when we talk about, you know, Augusta National and the Masters is one thing that TV doesn't do justice to Augusta National is the undulations and the changes in elevation. You know the the you know the drops and the and the, and the rises and you know the the subtleties. You know you you think about Georgia and you think about the South. You don't necessarily think about big hills, but there are a lot of big hills out there at Augusta National. Talk about Oakmont. What what is some some of the beauty or some of the things that we are not going to get a full appreciation of by watching it on TV versus actually being out there? Well, you know, and you're right about that too, Augusta. I mean, the first time I was there, I couldn't believe it. The first time I played, you can't believe how big a hill it is on 10 and 9. I mean, coming up the hill on 9 and then down on 10, I mean, it's 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 incredible. And you right. wouldn't think that it would be that way. But I think what you're going to see here, and, and, you know, they've already done a lot of talking about it, but we have removed uh, – we admit the 5,000, but I think it's more like 10, but we've, we've taken out about 10,000 trees around the property and it truly looks like a truly link style golf course. And I don't think that, uh, you know, I mean, typically you think high ball flight and, you know, you need, you need a high ball flight and maybe even a cut to win a, win a, win a U.S. Open. But I think that you're going to see a lot of on the ground stuff here this year. I mean, the, the first hole, you know, it's, it's straight downhill for about the last 140 yards, and, and it runs a lot. And, and I just think that 
you're going to see, yes, you're going to see the high and soft stuff, but, you know, you're going to see the players uh, use kind of the slopes, use the, use the running areas, so to speak, and uh, it's going to be fun to watch these guys play here. And Eric, as you talk about all the trees you guys took out, and that's that's not just because you guys decided to redesign the course. And I'll keep me honest here, but this is more getting back to what the original design of Oakmont was, right? Yeah, the original designs really didn't have anything. It was a farmland, and uh, Mr. Phones actually, there's great you know you know stories and documentation how he went out in horse and buggy and drove around, and he finally found the property. He said, "This is it. This is what I want." And uh, and so there really wasn't many trees on it at all. And then in the 50s, we had, a, we had a gentleman named Fred Brand who had a tree farm nursery and said, wouldn't it be great if we planted a bunch of trees in here? <laughs> so I, we still have people come up to us and say, I donated to the tree fund in 1954. Well, I thank you, but that's now firewood. But uh, it's, uh, you know, sorry. But, uh, uh, you know, and, and they this really overplanted it. And... It got to the point where in '94 it was so choked off by trees, we were, we had to make a change. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't really good for viewing. It wasn't good for you know growing the golf course, and uh, we really couldn't get all the you know 50,000 fans onto the golf course uh, mm-hmm. because of all the trees. So we started a massive program. Took a bunch of years. Took a bunch of votes. You know, actually hurt some feelings on some people, but uh, uh, there's some hard feelings there. But still, but I think once people see how good the golf course looks, it's uh, it was well worth the worth the hassle of cutting them down. Yeah. Eric, do you, do you get the players or the caddies coming to you to kind of pick your brain, particularly maybe some of the younger guys who don't have a ton of experience playing the course? Yeah, you know, I mean, I have a couple guys. I, I'm sending an email out to some of the other guys on the top 100 teachers, and you know, I've been here. You know, I was an assistant here in '94, '95, '6, and '7, uh, 13 years back, and I, heck, I still have the pin sheets from 2007. And you know, I don't know where they're going to put the pins, but I, you know, I'm, there are some of the you know Sunday pins and the pins that you just know they're going to be there. So they'd be crazy if they didn't. Uh, and I did I did go around with a few groups last year and show them the golf course and show them where I thought, you know, things would be. And I don't know. I mean, that's not something that, you know, I know where the pins are. I don't. Uh, that's, you know, between the USGA and, and they don't they don't tell us. But we've got a good idea where they'll be. And, you know, you can, you know, the difference is one or two shots. You know, that's what wins opens. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you had that little inside course knowledge, I mean, Tiger played – I think it was eight practice rounds before 2007, and he knew the golf course very, very well. And I think that's the preparation that you see, uh, you know, the greats do. They just know. Uh-huh. And, and, Eric, you know, the greens there are absolutely legendary. And for those of us who have never had the experience of putting on, on those greens, talk about the in- intricacies of the green, plus, you know, the legendary speed that we'll be watching uh, here in a couple of months. Well, the speed, no question about it, and it's hands down probably some of the fastest greens in the world. I've played Augusta, and I've played here, obviously, a bunch, and I can tell you without certainty ours are faster. And there's no question. And the the funny thing about it is when we get them firm and fast, that's the combination that makes it so awesome. I mean, the the run out of, the, of those, you know, they'll run out three, four, five feet. I mean, and it's just really awesome to watch it. And so the players are going to have to really pay attention here to Oakmont. Not only are they fast, 
but they're a lot more undulated than what people think. Like, mm-hmm. for example, the the 12th hole, it slopes from front to back, which is very different from most golf courses. Most of the golf courses, the you know, the 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 greens slope from back to front. We're front to back on that one, so it runs away from you. So any good shot that's not hit just perfect will still keep running away to the back of the green. So they are some tricky, tricky greens. And, you know, some of the speeds, and I've been here for 94. I've been here for the 2007. I've been here for the 2010 Open. They were not as fast as we could make them. We had to slow them down. The USGA would not let us have them where we could get them. Uh, no question we could have had them two or three feet faster. But uh, oh my. that is a true story about, you know, having to slow the greens down. That's true. I've seen it. Wow. Right. Yep. And, Eric, you mentioned, you know, Jordan Spieth being out there, you know, a moment ago. And, you know, you're you're one of the very best teachers of the game anywhere on the planet. And, you know, I'm curious to get your thoughts on, you know, what, you know, from a mental side. And, you know, are we all making too much of what we saw from Jordan Spieth at Augusta. I think so many people are afraid that this is going to somehow derail his career because, you know, and on some level we saw Rory McIlroy, who was openly talked about how Augusta is in his head after his final round 80 back in 2011. And that, you know, has cost him a possible green jacket back then. But, you know, what do you think going forward for Jordan? You know, he seems like such a mature kid who's you know mature well beyond his years. Do you think it's going to stick with him? You know, Chris, I really don't know. I I, I can just tell you this. Um, You know, when you saw what happened at Augusta, and my take on it is that, listen, he was not in his best form. I don't think anybody's going to debate that coming in. I mean, he had not been in his best form. I think he went chasing the world money, and I think he got pretty tired, and I think he got run down a little bit. And he was not clearly, you know, he was clearly not, he did not have his best stuff. No one's going to debate me on that. I, I'm right. sure of that. But yep. <clears throat> then he got off to a great start with a 66 and thought, okay, well, here I am. And he had that pressure again, and he had that pressure again, and then on the third round and still in the lead. And, and you could definitely tell that he was not comfortable with his game the whole week. In fact, I've never seen him. He's not a fast player, but he was definitely painfully slow during Augusta, and all the twitching and the back to the towel, I mean, he was not comfortable. There's no question about it. Mm-hmm. Now, um, so are we making too much out of it? I, You know what? Some of those things are very hard to forget. You know, I mean, your memory is a tough thing. Um, I think he's probably the most grounded human being I've ever seen. And just to, you know, share a couple stories, I mean, you know, Tiger came in and played eight practice rounds. And actually said, you know, if anyone follows me, I'll walk off the golf course. Now, Jordan Spieth took pictures with every kid that was around and didn't call and say, no one can watch me tee off for practice or do anything like that. So, I mean, when you talk about how great of a human being Jordan Spieth is, I mean, that was that was tremendous to me. I mean, I'm on Facebook and I'm like, hey, look at this kid got his picture with Jordan. This guy got his picture with Jordan. Everybody has a picture with Jordan. I mean, it was incredible, you know. And and then Tiger just was not that kind of person. I mean, Tiger, you know, had two police officers with him everywhere he went, and they kind of locked him in one of the phones room, and and he ate by himself, and you know, it was a totally different experience. Jordan's walking through the club, saying hi to everyone, thanking everyone. So I hope it doesn't stick with him. I, you know, he did hit it out of bounds on the 18th hole, and which is shocking to me because it's that's 50 yards offline. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, you know, and then he piped the next one right down the middle. And I know he's playing a practice round. I get it, but that's pretty far offline. And you know, he is hitting some loose shots, and we saw it at Augusta. You know, when yeah, on the fourth hole, I mean, shit, he hit that hit it up in the, you know, hit it up in the trees on a par three. It should have gone out of bounds, and you can't get that up ball up and down. There's no way. And he flops it up there and makes a ten footer. And that's the thing that was keeping him in the game. Um, yeah. So there's shades of brilliance in there, but there's definitely a couple of loose shots in there. Um, I hope we don't see it. I think the next time we, you know, I mean, shoot, I'd see all these pictures of him on the spring break trip and hopefully got that out of the system a little bit. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know what that was all about, but it looked like those boys were having fun on that spring break. But uh, <laughs> so hopefully he's got it out of the system there. Hopefully need a little, just a, a you know, some downtime. Yeah, but, you know, to your point about some of these loose shots, and you're right, we saw it, you know, come into play. We saw it at the end of the round, the end of the third round, right, when he bogeyed 17 and 18. Exactly, because bogey right? double, I mean, that stuff never happens. Uh, you know, just uh, very odd. Yeah, so, I mean, as it, as it sort of, you know, gets its way in there every, every every once in a while, and right, and I think that's how, you know, we start to lose it mentally, right? You know, because now all of a sudden we're not sure what's going to happen when we're at the tee. And for, for amateurs or, or for a player as great as Jordan Spieth is, that's got to be playing on your mind, doesn't it? That, you know, hey, all right, you know, I'm going to stand up here, but I might hit it right down the middle or I might hit it 50 yards out of bounds. How does that happen? How do we get that much, you know, that's awfully loose, for a guy of his nature or his stature? Well, there's no question about it. And, you know, I guess I think if you were to look at, you know, I mean, we always, you know, compare everyone to Tiger because I think he sent the, set the bench so high. You know, when you watch Tiger, I just don't think, even if, even in when he wasn't comfortable, he sat in there, committed 100% to the shot, and hit it. And, and I think that was, if I had one... You know, suggestion to Jordan, and, you know, listen, he's number two player in the world. I, I don't think he really needs to really worry too much about what I'm saying, but if if I were to draw one thing that I would tell him, I would say, Jordan, you know, you got to clean up those little right shots, you know, because to me it's a little bit of, you know, it's a little bit over-rotated. You know, the foot kind of flops, the right foot kind of flops over, a little over-rotated. And, you know, the commitment, the commitment to every shot is what I would say. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's good, bad, right, or wrong. Commit 100% and let, let it go. I mean, but the whole, you know, trying to, you know, trying to convince yourself that it's the correct shot, I yeah. never, ever, ever in my life saw Tiger do that. I mean, Tiger set up, he picked the shot, and then he hit it. Now, we we saw him, you know, stop his downswing a couple times, but I've never, I mean, when you think about 100% laser focus to the task, Tiger had that. Good, bad, right, or wrong. And I think that you saw that from the Canadian Open back in, I think it was 96 or 97 when he won, and he was 216 out of the bunker and, you know, over the lake and, and hit a six iron on the green. Everyone's commentator, well, it looks like he's going, oh, my God, wait a minute, he's aiming at the hole, he hit it, oh, you know, I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> he hits it on the green. He committed 100%. And right. there was nothing that was backing him down. And, you know, and I guess that, that comes back to me, how I categorize that. Is there's no fear of success, and there's no fear of failure. He's right. going to let the shot go. There's no fear of success or the failure. And I mm-hmm. think that, I think that you know, when I see Jordan, I just see him a little bit, 
you know, tentative and not really quite committing maybe 100% to what he's doing. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I know, yeah, it's a nervous situation. And I thought it was great when Nick Faldo said, I won the Masters <clears throat> three times, and I only led the Masters for a total of nine holes. A total. Right. And Jordan had the lead for, you know, eight days in a row. I mean, from, right. you know, 2015 to 16. So, I mean, right. He was in a pressure-packed situation, and you know, as you know, pressure, pressure exposes the the weakest link, and right. that's the way it always is. You know, whether it's a, you know, whether it's a chain or whether it's a human being, pressure is going to expose that. You know, mm-hmm. so, so I think we saw a little bit of that there. But you know, and, and just take that a little, you know, a half a step further, Eric. You know, that, I think that's a lesson, you know, to all of us who play the game, right? Committing to the shot, right? I think that's how. You know, particularly in your short game, when you see, you know, when when we chunk it or we skull it or whatever, it's because we haven't fully committed to the shot that, you know, that we've envisioned, right? We think, well, maybe it'll work. And then, you know, we either, you know, we move our head or we do whatever it is. We decel, we decel, you know, the shot, you know, and then all of a sudden that's when you chunk it, which may be what happened to Jordan on 12. But, you know, I, I think that's a, a lesson for everybody, is it not? You know, w- once you've decided what you want to do, just go ahead and let it go. Because if you don't, the bad things that you're imagining are going to happen are going to happen. You got a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you think about, you know, I'm not a sports psychologist, but I have gone to a lot of them and I'm not, you know, I'm afraid to admit that I've gone to a lot of them. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in my head that goes on and around. And, you know, really when you think about it, the best, if I could just, you know, go off on this for a second, but but sure. this is something I love to talk about because, you know, I mean, mentally, you're in a little internal conversation in your own brain all the time. You know, you could be sitting there listening to the radio right now going, what in the world is this guy talking about? Or, yeah, I do that, and what is it, you know, and what did I have for dinner? You know, I mean, you're, you're in this little internal conversation all the time. And the best way I've ever heard it explained is, like, the thoughts in my head are like the bubbles on the bottom of a champagne glass, and they just keep coming up. And and they're never, you're the greatest player of all times. Just go commit to it. It's like, man, I, there's a bunker over there, and Halton Road is off right off number one here. And if I hit it out of bounds, I lose the open. And you know, there's a lot of bunkers, and then there's the gallery, and there's a lot of conversation going on there. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what you got to try to do is try to flatten the bubbles. And the more those bubbles come up in your head, those thoughts keep coming up. I like to say to them, hey, thanks for sharing that, but I intend to do this right now. And, and, and you put it back towards intention. Not, not what could, what if, intent. I intend to hit a draw down the right side of the fairway and put it right in the middle. And then once you start committing to that, because I, long story short, I, hit, I was going to be the youngest club champion ever at Titusville Country Club. It was going to mean the world to me. It's 36-hole final. Everyone used to drive around in the carts. That's when everyone used to follow the matches. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I had a one-up lead, one-up with one to go. It's going to be the youngest champ ever. I hit a shank, and it was an epic shank. I mean, it was, and I hadn't shanked it. You know, I was worried about the tee shot. And hit, drove it right down the middle. Boom, hit it out of bounds. End up making the six. I lose in the first hole of the playoff. I was crushed. And I'm not going to, I'm telling you, I was playing Division One Southeastern Conference. I was playing uh, with Stuart Sink, and I'll never forget it. We're on the seventh hole. I'm pulling a sand wedge back, 
And all of a sudden, I hear in my brain, don't shank it, don't shank it. I mean, so I stop. I'm looking around like, who said that, you know? <laughs> Stuart's looking at me like I'm crazy. He's like, what's going on? I have nothing, Stuart. I just, uh, yeah, got to refocus here, you know? And, and it was, you know, so those thoughts are in there. And mm-hmm. you have to flatten those bubbles. You can't let this, when that stuff starts happening, man, I hope I don't chunk it. That's when you say to yourself right now, okay, I intend to do this. And after a while, once you start training your brain, those thoughts, they dissipate. They won't, it's like it, the champagne went flat. And that is something that the mental perspective is, is, is so underrated. And that's why I'm hoping, I, I just think Jordan's so grounded and is such a good human being that I'm hoping he can, you know, kind of flatten that out and, and, and get rid of it. But, you know, I see Mr. Palmer, and he's still talking about losing the 62 open the Nicholas. And still telling me that he had 13 three putts for the week, and Jack had zero. So I way out ball striked him, and you're at yes, Mr. Palmer. That's like you know, 60 years ago, sir. You know, maybe 50. <laughs> we maybe we ought to move, but it still upsets him to this day. Yeah. And uh, so I don't know. Time will tell, I guess. I hope it. I hope it doesn't crush him. But uh, but a uh, 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 a meltdown like that. Um, we never saw Tiger do anything like that, you know, and and I right. just saw. I'm not trying to draw too much from that, but we never saw Tiger. I've never saw him do anything like that. Mm-hmm. Did you? I, I mean, can you remember one time where no. he melted down? I mean, like. Well, just, I mean, we've seen it lately, right? You know, a couple, you know, over the well, last. Well, that's years, what right? I meant. Tiger in his prime. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, no. now, I mean, shoot, I, you know, they say he's playing here, and you know. Good luck. I, you know, I mean, I, you, again, you come off of surgeries and you, you know, he's had what eleven surgeries now, and and you know, you're not hitting full shots, and now he's hitting a few, and now you're going to come over and take on Jason Day and and Oakmont. Um, okay, good luck. I would love to see him. Uh, we'll see. Time will tell. Now. Yeah. You- you got to wonder about that, Eric, right? If if that were actually to take place, right? And I guess it, it's it is you know everything is you know a battle in your mind, right? And if you come, you would have to think he's just coming there to see where you know the status of his game, right? I mean, we've heard forever that Tiger isn't going to play in a tournament unless he thinks he can win, and you know from a from a uh, get your mind right, right? With coming into Oakmont, it is just it's just got to be in his mind, and I would hope he would say this, you know, in news conference, Eric, in his you know, conferences and, and stuff like that when he's in meeting with the media. Like, look, I'm just coming here trying to, you know, get my game in shape. I got no you know, thoughts that I'm going to win this thing. Because if you go in there thinking that you could win and you go in, 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 God forbid, you know, he shoots some crazy high score, right? You're talking about five over winning this thing, which means, you know, guys are going to be shooting in the, in the low to mid seventies, right? You know, on a regular basis, a lot of the field, maybe even in the upper seventies for the back end of the field. If he were to come in there and throw a couple of 82s at you, boy, you got to really start to wonder how that plays on his mind and, you know, thinking I'm going to win this thing or thinking I can be competitive. And now I've come out to Oakmont and I've shot, you know, a pair of 80s. You know, what that does to him, you know, coming off of, you know, the shanks. You talk about shanks. You know, the shanks that he was doing with the chipping game with the last time we oh, saw him. Was, and, you know, it's and then you throw that. Yeah. Yeah, Chris, Chris, I'm telling you, you know, what we've seen – you know, and I don't want to make too much of this, but I really think that we have seen the collapse of the greatest athlete that has ever happened. 
I mean, he was poetry in motion. Nineteen, you know, two thousand Tiger, that to, to two thousand nine to you know eight nine, he was uh, flawless. I mean, it was poetry in motion. Now, it's almost like he's not trying to outsmart himself. He's trying to get the, you know, the the smartest teachers and the biomechanists and the guys that are looking at track man. And all they do is send numbers. And we're going to talk about force and ground force reaction and, you know, and, and <laughs> uh, guys, that, that's not that doesn't have anything to do with the game of golf. I mean, that's you, you're ruining players. And I think that he's lost. I, I think he's totally lost. I mean, gone through the shanks. I mean, he's the. The short game stuff, I mean, that all has to weigh on your brain at some point. And, right. You know, I, listen, I, I think that we've seen – I think they've taken him down, uh, each instructor, with the exception maybe of Hank. I think the last guys have maybe taken him down into a mechanical world and a mechanical scientific world where I just don't think Jack ever thought about something like that. I mean, Jack just got up there. And, and hit golf balls. I mean, I spent enough time with Mr. Flick to know, and and Mr. Flick was one of my true mentors of the game. I mean, he was he he, he I miss him every day. I, I think about him every day, uh, Jim Flick. I miss him to death. And and he got to share a lot of stuff that he used to talk about with Jack. Jack never thought about track mans and you know numbers and you know biomechanics. He had a ball flight in mind, and he wanted to hit it, and as he hit that ball flight. I mean, right. end of story. You know, so I don't know where he's living, you know, mentally right now. Because, but to me, he looks like he's totally lost in the mechanical, scientific golf, scientific world. And that's, you know, there's two ways to play. There's feel, and then there's the engineers. But man, I think he was a field player that's trying to be an engineer, and that's not that's not working. Right, and 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 just to, and I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole, but to, you know, to to that point, Eric, you know, one of the, you talk about Mr. Nicholas, and one of the things that, that that he talks about frequently is being responsible for your own game. Like when things would yeah. start to go wrong for him, he he wasn't always running back to Jack Grout or Jim Flick, you know, in, in his career trying to figure out because he knew what was going on and he could correct. And he's he was you know he's a genius on many levels, but a genius with the swing because there was he could correct his own swing. In, in mid swing, he could feel like yep. when he was getting too far, you know, this way or that way, and he could correct it. And we've all heard the story many, many times at the U.S. Open on 17 when, you know, at Pebble Beach when he hit the flagstick that he felt like, yep. oh, my hands are here and I need to change and boom, right next to the pen. So yep. is, is that is that a thing? You know, could, could Tiger be too, you know, reliant on, you know, so many voices in his head from so many coaches? Is, are, are, it may not just even be Tiger, but are, too, are guys too worried about, you know, every time something may start to go wrong, they're too reliant on someone to go running back to them to get instruction as, as opposed to, you know, at that level, you would think they, they should have an idea of what's going wrong with their own swings. Well, no question about it. I mean, I'm going to say this by answering it two ways. John Daly and Jim Furyk, okay? You go, what, mm-hmm. what do you mean? They're still playing, right? Jim Furyk has not the most pleasing, you know, aesthetically, that's not a pleasing swing to the eye. And he has made now $70 million on tour and still playing. You know, so there's nothing wrong with uniqueness. I mean, heck, John Daly, even the train wreck that he is, I mean, he's still out there <laughs> playing, you know? And, yeah. and, and you go, okay, where's Tiger? What, what happened? Well, well, he's trying to be perfect or this. And you know what? Why don't you just go play the game? 
And it's such a simple message that I can't believe they can't. Someone can't get it to them. Right. Go play. Go do. Go do what you used to do, and that was hit golf shots. Don't you don't play golf swing. You play golf. And right. there's nothing wrong with uniqueness. Nothing. Right. Nothing wrong with uniqueness whatsoever. You know, right. you look at you look at the Davis Loves. You look at the Freddie Couples. It, they've looked like they've had Bernard Langer. That swing has looked the same his entire career. And Bernard yep. Langer, he's the ageless wonder. My God, he was doing what he did at the, uh, the Masters this year. I, I thought he had a shot. You know, unfortunately, yes. I don't think either one of those two players played very good in that, that group. But And who knows what you know happened there. But he had a shot to win at 59. Right. Uh, that's amazing. He never changed that golf swing. Right. That's That's absurd. All right, so let's bring it back in a little bit, Eric, and I want to get to some of the, the instruction that you have on your on your uh, website, which is absolutely fantastic. One more about as we look forward to, to the Open. We've got, you know, you look back, and you mentioned Jason Day not long ago, and, you know, like he was hitting 385-yard drives at the PGA Championship. You know, yep. Length. Is, is length going to make you know, for Bubba Watson and Jason Day and, and, and the Bombers out there, Dustin Johnson, is that going to be a huge advantage for them at Oakmont, or is it, you know, because the greens are so hard and firm and fast, is it really the guys that can that have imagination and really are really good around the greens and can punt the ball really well? Is that more of an advantage versus bombing the ball? Well, you know, I think the bombers always have an advantage. I really do. I think that you know, I mean, if you can if you can cut the length of this golf course to where you're not worried about it, I think a bomber is, is going to do that. You look at the past champions of, uh, you know, Hogan and, and Nicholas and Johnny Miller. I mean, there's a combination there of, you know, pretty precise guys. Uh, so, I mean, and then Cabrera wins. And, and so, you know, I mean, I think, I think you got to do, I think you got to be pretty creative. I think, you know, a bomber will have a better chance here. Uh, but then again, on the same breath, I like a guy like Zach Johnson, very precise, phenomenal putter, unbelievable short game. You know, I like it. I love a Jason Day here. Uh, I would have said Jordan Spieth, you know, beforehand, and, you know, the way he putted and the way his short game is around here, I think it would be awesome. But if, it's if his full swing would, you know, would, you know, would, would, you know, cooperate, so to speak. Right. Um, you know, so there's, there's, you know, I mean, I think Dustin Johnson could play well here. Bubba Watson played here, good here in 2007. Um, you know, so it'll be an interesting. It's always a very interesting leaderboard here at, at Oakmont because you know you see there's that combination of you know the bombers and then the the accurate great putters. You know, and you have to be a great putter here. Ernie Ells, I mean, one in '94. I mean was hitting it long and, and putting it beautifully. So, you know, I, I think it'll probably be more of a long guy, but I think a guy like Zach Johnson would really have a – if I was in Europe, I'd put a couple pounds on him. That's what I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> and, Eric, you know I love your website, ericjohnsongolf.com. I was looking at it uh, yesterday and today. You redesigned it lately, didn't you? Yeah, we put a couple of new things on there. Tried to change it up a little bit. Uh, you know, a couple of new photos from a photo shoot we did here, and you know, we're, it'll be in golf.com. And uh, the guys at Golf Magazine are, you know, great guys. There's some great stuff in there. And uh, so, yeah, I redid it a little bit. And one of the things that uh, I was taking a look at is your indoor instructional facility that you have up there. It looks fantastic. Yeah, thanks. You know, we've got, we get, you know, just hit the garage door, the door goes up, we hit right on the range at Oakmont, got the heaters above us, we've got a track man in the 
D1 video and all that stuff, and uh, it's a heck of a spot if you're getting the winter doldrums like we do up here, but, uh, you know, from October to, you know, May or so, really, I mean, March, really, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great studio. Oakmont's done a great thing here. I'm talking to Eric Johnson, Golf Magazine, top 100 instructor and the director of instruction at Oakmont Country Club here on Next on the T. Eric, just a couple more before we let you go. One of the instructional videos that you have that I love is how to roll it close from off the greens. And sometimes I think it's, it's hard for we amateurs to decide whether we should be chipping or just off the green. Talk about that and uh, how we can uh, roll it close if uh, we find ourselves in that position. Yeah, you know, one of those things that, Chris, I always talk about, and Mr. Palmer gave me this advice at the Palmer Cup matches, and, you know, he said, listen, if you can putt it, putt it. If you can't putt it, then it's a chip, and if you can't chip it, now it's a pitch. And, honestly, I putt it every chance I can get it. I it just, it's, listen, I um, my nerves aren't what they are, and, you know, I mean, and, and I just don't want to try to hit a little chip or pitch off of a real tight line, and I putt it every time I can. And that has saved me hundreds of strokes. And, you know, when you do it over in Europe and Scotland, you see those guys do it all the time. I mean, that's how the game is supposed to be played. Don't try to take a 60-degree wedge off a tight lie and with nothing in front of you. Bap a putter up there and get it up there somewhere. I mean, we forget that pars are really good scores, you know? <laughs> right. Right. And it's something that I was talking to Mike Landry prior to you, but I think, you know, certainly one of the clubs that has become more and more popular over the years, and you, I think we can all thank Phil Mickelson for it, is a 60-degree wedge. But I think one of the things, and I've seen it on your site, but I, and I agree with it, I think one of the things that, that we amateurs have fooled ourselves is when we see Phil pulling off some of these unbelievable shots with that 60-degree wedge you know, around the green, I think we've, we've got images of grandeur in our heads and that 60 degree wedge particularly as you just mentioned from a tight lie is very difficult to pull off is that is that you know when, when you look at all of our golf bags now and amateurs that you are working with is that a club that you know you think is beneficial for you know whether it's a mid handicap or a high handicap yeah you know i mean i think that i i love a 64 degree wedge i mean i have one in my bag and i think that people should have a lot of loft and but you know you only need to use that a couple times around you know I just think that Phil's so good and makes it look so simple that, you know, everyone thinks, well, you know, I'm just going to take my 60 and, you know, take it off this really tight light. That is a very hard shot. And most of the time we see their balls right back at their feet, you know, because they just hit it and rolls back to them. But, you know, get it on the ground and run, and I promise you it'll save you a bunch of strokes. I promise you. Eric, remind our listeners, how can they find you and follow you, whether that's online or over social media as well? Yeah, it's ericjohnsongolf.com. I'm on Facebook, too. I've got a Twitter account, Eric Johnson Golf, and uh, not many people are following me but I, because I don't twi- Twitter much, but I, I appreciate you guys, and I just, you know, Chris, I, I love your show. You know, your preparation of the show is all world, and the inter- introduction had me blushing today. I was going to yell, stop, 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 but I uh, appreciate it, and I just really want to shout out to the soldiers out there, men and women out there, shoot straight, you know, get those bad guys. You know, we're thinking of you guys every day, and, you know, the the soldiers are the reason that we have freedom, and it's not from a politician, I can guarantee you that. So keep your heads down out there, guys. Good luck. I appreciate you saying that, Eric. 
you know, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Eric, you're you're absolutely one of my favorite guests here on the show. Uh, certainly a guy that I would have in my dream five system because not only are you a great guy, you also make uh, every time you come on the show so much fun for me to be a part of as well. So thank you for your, for doing it again today. I can't uh, I can't thank you enough for all the support you've had uh, for for me in this show. Hey, buddy, anytime. You know, let's do it again. Let's do it during the open. We'll see if any of these picks are coming out. <laughs> You're on, my friend. Eric. All right, buddy. Thanks, all Chris. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, buddy. Bye-bye. That is uh, top uh, 100 instructor, Eric. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. Yeah, Jim and the great folks over at the Salute Military Golf Association are doing some fantastic things. Again, to find out more information and how you can get involved, go to smga.org. All right, everybody, my sincere thanks again to Mike Landry and Eric Johnson for making today's show so much fun to be a part of. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Please also check out our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host, Bob Lazare, and our announcer, Joe Lajanusha. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio, as well as the Armed Forces Radio Network as well. That show, like this one, is also available as a podcast on iHeartRadio, Spreaker, TuneIn, Stitcher, Player.fm, SoundCloud. We're all over the net. You can find both shows there. Please also, you know, when you think about Thursday night tailgate on the football side, we do it year-round, folks, and we have, you know, great players from the NFL and the CFL joining us every single week. We're official partners. You've been listening to Next on the Tee with Christmas Carol, where PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors, and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Saturday to hear more stories about the game we love from the people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf. Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. And participating Wendy's for a limited time. Meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii. 
great things are happening at your friendly neighborhood Safeway. Stop by and see all the things that make a supermarket just better. Like new low everyday prices on family favorites. Shop with your club card and pick up bananas for an incredible 48 cents a pound. And for an easy, delicious dinner, get whole roasted chicken for only $4.98. Bigger selections, friendlier smiles, lower prices. Safeway, it's just better. 